production. This podcast is being recorded on Gadigal land. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past, present. We extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Everyone, very, very exciting uh, guests we have on today's show. We have the amazing Wendy Zuckerman from Science Versus. Such an amazing podcast. Ooh. Woo! 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 Thanks. Oh, this is great. What a great hype, hype lady you are. Um, this is We're obsessed with you and we're obsessed with your podcast. And I've been listening to it, especially recently. And I've, 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 there are two topics that I want to speak to you about and they don't really join. So we're just going to kind of like make them join in this podcast. Yeah, we're going to do the best segues that your listeners have ever heard. Yeah, you've been podcasting for much longer than I have, so I think maybe you can be in charge of segues if that's okay. <laughs> and then... Yeah, I'm thinking something about, like, we love horses, horse tranquilizers. You know, yeah, the amount of horse jokes made in your episode about yes. ketamine um, was just, it was so beautiful. <laughs> it was just, it made me have a little giggle every time. I, I, I was obsessed with it. Um, but how the hell did you get into this Role having a science podcast because we recently had an episode where we were like, what do physicists do? What do scientists do? So how did you get into this science podcasting land? And what's a physicist as well? <laughs> <laughs> well it sounds like you covered that. No, we didn't. No, we didn't. We didn't. We couldn't figure out. We spent 25 minutes on what was supposed to be a 10-minute episode <laughs> talking about Googling what do they do. Anyway. Um, I'll start with me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably, probably safest. Um, yeah, <laughs> not a physicist. So I, I'm like, where do I begin? You know, back when my my mother felt pains, <laughs> and all of a sudden I was born. Also, recently, have heard that birth story from a very different light. Have you been? I don't know if you've heard your own birth story in. I think mum was like, anyway. oh, you were the second one, so you just came right out. Like, it's all good. Yeah, what's with this? And I'm like, no, more details, <laughs> yeah. please. Come right out. Like, there was pain. There <laughs> must have been pain. Something. But anyway, let's let's fast forward a couple of years. So I, in uni, was studying science, biomedical mm-hmm. science, which is the easy one to understand. Science of the human body, so um, easy. how it all how it all yeah, works, right? Nah, it's you know, really it's easy, Wendy. very intuitive. Us that. How? <laughs> How does the kid? No, but look, I hear you on. I hear you on physics. There's, there's a lot. It's like a lot of abstract concepts. Biomedical science, the science of the human mm-hmm. body. Um, and I was terrible at it, really bad. When we had a, we had a lab task or whatever, and I had the Bunsen burner on too high, mm. and ended up melting a bunch of equipment. Um, and this was just a mistake. Yeah. Um, and I was pulled into the, I don't know, Dean, someone high up's office. And to me, I was like, ah, you know, that time when I like melted a bunch of expensive yeah, equipment. Sorry. And I quickly realized they were about to kick me out of here because they thought I did it on purpose. They, <laughs> I thought you were vandalizing <laughs> the science equipment. Yeah, because they couldn't imagine someone could be so incompetent <laughs> that they were like, you must have done it on purpose. And I was like, no, I, I just... I am incompetent. That is. What was that conversation like? Like, like, did they were they accusing you? You were going, no, I'm just silly. I'm a silly, silly uni student. Yes, yeah, that was that was exactly what it was. Because I remember as a like fancy pants guy with his, fa- his big wooden office <laughs> desk, and was like, I was like, you know, this is very serious. And I was like, yeah, 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 won't do it again. Like, yeah. you know, sods. And then he was like, no, 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 like you you might have to leave. I, I'm not sure this university is for you. Said some words like that. And I was like, and I remember in my mind being like, oh, mm. and then had to, because it, it was still so funny to me. Yeah. And so I, I really had to put on listening face, very useful in podcasting. Oh, yes. and, and I was just like, Oh, um, no, um, I just, and then serious listening face really got me through maybe a bit of like, a bit of, I'm just a girl, you know, at times you've got to use, work the patriarchy when you can do it. That's Um, literally a part of my live show is about how you always should use the patriarchy (laughs) to your advantage. You go, I'm just a shitty little girl. And then we'll believe you because that's what (laughs) they want to believe. They go, yeah, you are. But so did you get out? So didn't stayed stayed got my degree, um, but that was a quick lesson that I was not going to be a real scientist. Oh. So I was like, maybe I could be a science journalist because I do love telling science stories and I like reading science papers. Mm. Um, and then 
the reading isn't isn't that amazing, but I do like understanding things and then explaining them to people. Yeah. And so that I I find I, I love. And so I started doing print. I worked in a magazine. Then I worked at the ABC. And then while I was at the ABC, this is how we get into the podcasting mm-hmm. world, I was asked, because I started like reporting science, you know, whenever they were like, again, the patriarchy, you know, maybe what if we didn't have an old man reporting on science? What if we got Whoa. this person, Wendy, to do That's it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, no, the ABC was incredibly supportive. And, and so I was like starting to report every time, you know, whatever we discovered a new marsupial mm-hmm. or something cool happened in space. And then when um, the ABC moved into podcasting, they were like, you want to pitch a science show? And the very week they asked me to pitch something, Gwyneth Paltrow, this of is a course, true story, Gwyneth, <laughs> she was making her dutiful transition from sliding doors to health guru. Mm-hmm. And I think that week had suggested that women steam clean their vaginas. Oh, my God, a yoni steamer. We love. Yeah. You know, we didn't even know the word for yoni steamer back then. It was so, you know, we didn't even know the coronavirus. We didn't know anything. We were so naive. Oh, my God. Pre-yoni steamer Uh, time. (laughs) (laughs) So, So my first pitch was science versus Gwyneth Paltrow, basically. It was like, what if we got all of these ideas because at the time people were like should we be steam cleaning our vaginas maybe well, we do should, need to well, clean our vaginas can you give us the answer I would <laughs> the answer no. is no your vagina is clean and yeah, fine and yeah. as clean as it needs yeah, to be yeah, and, yeah. and yes. also can we all agree to be anti fucking vaginal washes can we yes. can, I, can I get a yes. sign to take me there up is here? like a beautiful like a, a array of bacteria in your vagina that just needs to be there mm. keep it there Keep it there. Yes. Fuck it. Exactly. I, I, I get really upset when I see like. Vagisil washes. In my friend's yeah. showers. I'm like. And people people afraid of what their vagina smells like. Your vagina smells fine. It is fine. Like you don't need to clean it. And if anyone tells you your vagina smells gross, tell them to like get it. <laughs> get, get, get out. That is like red flag. Like it's such a sign. Like they don't know where the clitoris is. Like if they say that, like it's, I think the chance that you are going to have a good sexual experience is very, very low. low. Unless you have bacterial vaginosis, in which case um, maybe you might describe the smell to me. Yeah. And if they yeah. say fishy and the consistency of the discharge is quite watery, the grey colour, you can go, mm. you, can, you can go, get out. Hang on, can you describe it yes. for me first? And show me a doctor yes. degree. And show me and show the license. Do you have a swab? Yeah. Do, you, do you have a swab <laughs> yes. that I can do? I'll do a midstream urine test and then we can decide if we're going to still fuck. That's the, <laughs> Thank those you. are the rules. But as a, as a general those rule, love, I agree. Yes. Do you ever tell your boy, boyfriends like if they've got like a bad smelling cock? Che- cheesy dick. <laughs> bad smelling cock. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a bad smelling cock, to be honest. Have you ever had do a you... bad smelling cock? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some bad cocks out there. <laughs> They need, they, what but do you know what's funny? Is there vagisil version for penises? No, there's not. But well, just some, un, no, but uncircumcised. You, sometimes it, they could, there could be mm. something. But yes, it could be soap. But how about that for vagina? Is that not the case? Nah, because your pH is on the in, your pH is like uh, fine. Yeah. And if you yeah. fuck with your pH, you get very sick in the cooch. Well, don't you? Know, you? That's what happened to me. You know, I had my I had my thrush moment all last year in the beginning of this year. I never had a thrush ever, Wendy. Just gonna complain to you about it. I never had <laughs> I had a thrush once in my life, and I had bacterial vaginosis once. And then what happened was I fucked this one person, and then I literally had thrush, bacterial vaginosis, and UTIs on and off for literally four months. There wasn't a time. Oh, there was not a that's time. So painful. That's so painful. It yes. Was- yes. Look, look, I'm really glad you mentioned yes, there are certain smells that yes. Uh- but I think I think generally people with vaginas can have all sorts of issues about what their vaginas are supposed to look like and smell like and sound Absolutely. like. And uh, so many of them are just like, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. And we just need more. We need more and better and more diverse images of what a vagina is supposed to look Absolutely. like. And then I feel like so many of us would just be like, oh, great. Yeah, I feel so much better That's about fine. if we could just see other vaginas. But also, I think as well, you probably know if you're like, if you have like, if you have thrush, like, you know, you've got thrush. You know, like, and yes. like you, you're aware the only thing is BV that is sneaky sometimes. How is it sneaky for you? Because I feel like you have to like get your fingers up there and sniff your fingers to like check. So I now paranoia just check like. Just a BV check. Just yeah, a little, like every Monday, 4.30. Or oh, even the podcast, 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is that what that cow 
calendar booking is where it always says interrupt. you're busy. <laughs> I go, go go to the toilet. I go, oh, ding. Oh, that's go, what come. it is. Like, I'm like, you're going to moisturize it there. <laughs> We're reaching it. We just passed it. God, anyway, Wendy, so sorry. You're a woman of science and we've... <laughs> No, I, I sent us down this journey. I regret nothing. Um, oh, my God. To br- uh, yes, so then, so then yes, so I, science ABC. versus oh, yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. So uh, set the pitch, the ABC. They said, yes, make this show. I've never done an episode on Gwyneth Paltrow, but I did um, whatever. I made a pilot. I'd never made a podcast before. Mm-hmm. I didn't really listen to them. Because it was what year? The show 20, went out on the ABC. Like 2014? 15. 2015 was so, like wow. when it, yeah, this was, it was in the dark ages. Did you invent podcasting in Australia? <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you were one of the first, like legit, though not to blow smoke up your ass, but I feel like you were one of the first like big successful Australian podcasts. Yeah. I think take, that I mean it went take it Wendy accept it I'll take it I'll take it yeah yeah it was number it was number one it was number one for the entire there season go. there we um, go there we go yes wow. yes and it was yeah it was crazy and then um and then a, a startup in New York heard it and said come and make the show for me Gimlet and so Gimlet I don't know why yes. like I get what else is on Gimlet Spotify now Heavyweight Gimlet. Yeah, Heavyweight is on Gimlet what else is on Gimlet Heavyweight is on Don't Gimlet. Know. There's really, something else on Gimlet. Really the oh, there's a lot on Gimlet. And Spotify also on acquired Gimlet. Gimlet. Lots wow. of listener too. Yeah, there's heaps yeah. on there. There's wow. lots of yeah, listener as well. There's a little fair few <laughs> podcasts of ours as well. Oh, really? <laughs> on Gimlet? Oh, on no, listener. no, no, oh, no. Yeah. I've been saying, yeah, no, we're, we're a pretty big sorry. deal as well. We're a pretty big deal as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, fuck. I had something else to say about. Oh, sorry. Can we quickly talk about circumcised penises for a second? Okay. I'm just going to make a little marker here. I think that was Oscar's. Yeah. We, so, we have done an episode on circumcised Have you really? <laughs> yes, okay. So yes. I want to speak about this because I have a question. <laughs> okay. Does having a circumcised penis minimize feeling? Is there evidence for this? And how could we ever okay. tell? Yeah, look, great, great questions. And, you know, there's a big, um, there's a big anti-circumcision movement. Oh, they're called the intactivists. <laughs> Bless, right? Great Bless. Um, it was one of those, our producer Rose Rimmel made this episode and, um, and I was like, what now? Who now? Yes. Um, so they feel very strongly that circumcisions have ruined their lives. Oh. Um, we looked into this for the episode and there are some studies that look at whether the head of the penis is less sensitive if you've had a circumcision or you haven't. And they find that it is not different. There is some sensitivity in the foreskin of of the penis, which probably a lot of people with foreskins mm-hmm. will know, uh, but whether that affects your orgasm overall is a totally different question because orgasms are so much more mm-hmm. than a little bit of sensitivity in your foreskin. We know pain and pleasure are very complicated mm-hmm. ideas. We we didn't we don't we don't know. And even though some people have circumcisions later on in life, thank you, someone at uni who just told me he could have just said he had he had like knee yeah, surgery. Nah, he was. Needs yeah. a little bit. You know what? Desigmatize yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, genital yes. surgeries. I don't know. Yeah. Yes, yes. It was there was some medical reason. You would need to ask people before and uh, they would need to have been sexually active before and after they got their circumcisions and 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 really like probe that. But so many factors play into whether you have good sex and bad sex yeah. that it would be so hard to know that right yeah. you'd have to basically get them to have sex with the same person again in the same way Wendy, 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 i can tell you like this is going to blow your mind i have had an adult circumcision so ah! i know the answer you are a unicorn of science what the hell what the hell what the hell why <laughs> so when i was 22 i had a tighter foreskin oh. and in order to get it fixed, I needed to get a circumcision. This is what happened to you this guy at uni. Yeah, that, so I, I can yes. tell you. Friends whose partners have this issue and they yeah. stretch it out with a big with a ring. Yeah, you can do that or just mm. go into general. It, I Enjoy mean, it. it is hard when you wake up. Uh, not hard, but it is difficult <laughs> when you wake up from the general and you see a bandage on your penis. It's like, what the fuck have I done? But surprisingly, it's the, it doesn't take too long to heal and the recovery is not that bad. And so I can tell, I've got the answer as to whether or not it's going to be. My yeah. God. Drum roll. Did it make a difference for <laughs> you? <laughs> it, there is no difference. 
There is no difference. Wow. You still have feeling with the circumcised penis. Absolutely. Wow. So that's. I mean, of course, you feeling. still have feel- feeling. Yes, but, but yes. you don't decrease the feeling. You didn't notice any difference. I, no, yeah, I didn't. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think that where the researchers were at with even though we don't, this isn't as well studied as as some things. Mm. Cancer, you know, what the researchers <laughs> on, doing. On um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the general feeling was for those people who really are blaming their circumcisions on their poor sex life. Like, there's probably something else mm. going on that it's not the circumcision. Abby, why do you ask? Because it's a random question you'd ask. Because I actually have always wanted this about circumcised penises because I've only ever really slept with uncircumcised penises. Ah. And I, uh, like Americans are obsessed with circumcision and I always think about it. Not always. I'm not, I'm not all day, every day thinking about circumcision. But then I, my friends and I have spoken about it before and, we've, and we're like, oh, like we've heard that the that the feeling is decreased. But then you think, well, it's all A, self-reporting and B, you don't have, you don't have a, what's it called? What's like it a called? Scale. Scientist, Wendy. Oh. Like a, an, an objective, an objective measure. Yeah. Like a, what's it called? A, a control. A control. A there control. we go. Um, where, but I guess yeah. Oscar is our control. Yes. But then you think, well, <laughs> what is peak pleasure to someone with a circumcised versus uncircumcised penis? There's been a lot of thoughts about this. My hyperfixation I for mean, a while I think was you guys did a great, a great analysis. I mean, one could also say, like, because Oscar, your um, foreskin was sort of causing a bit of pain. Mm. So perhaps without, I mean, I don't know when that but, yeah, pain when you'd... kicked in, but maybe compared to pain it's better yeah but when i would but, orgasm the the feeling of orgasm hasn't decreased you know what i mean like it's still the same yeah. feeling of pleasure it doesn't it hasn't disappeared and i can still feel my penis as much before as i that's so beautiful. i mean after yeah yeah this is a very sharing I mean, episode. <laughs> would you say you love your penis oscar as in because of the circumcision or just in general in general in general yeah i love it great let's speak about love now segway 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 <laughs> Very nice. Well, <laughs> very nice. So there was a <laughs> and I'm going to put in a little sound. Yeah, wow, thank you. segue. There's an episode of Science Versus that I really enjoyed, and that was about love and monogamy and kind of the arguments about whether monogamy is quote unquote natural or. I guess not unnatural, but like if it's if it's the way that humans should be, yeah. I'm I'm very famously a non-monogamous bitch, and uh, <laughs> I I I always try and look for evidence to support my non-monogamous life because obviously that would be nice to, to tell the monogamous people um, who abuse me online that I'm right and they're wrong. <laughs> but this episode, I mean, what I love about your podcast as well is always very evenly presented you know as I guess science should be right you're not like you're not like me where I say this is right and this is wrong and everyone should (laughs) fuck everyone but yeah we try we try to start very open yeah which is like and just follow the science yeah same I'm so open-minded uh kidding I always say that I'm right and they're wrong but that's why you listen to people like you Wendy so the episode started out speaking about like what like what I love um, <laughs> and how it, it's experienced in your brain. And I always think this whenever I have a crush on someone I don't want to, I think it's just a chemical, it's just a chemical <laughs> in your brain, it's just a chemical in your brain. But um, what, can you explain to everyone what happens when you fall in love? And like is there a threshold for when there's like there's this much oxytocin, this much dopamine, therefore it's love. You're now in yeah. love. No, 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 no. It's, it's, so, it's like so much more complicated. Oh. It's so funny that. Your reaction to love is like, oh no, it's a chemical. Like, awful. like I'm on MDMA. Like, don't yes, believe it. Don't yes. believe it. I'm like, you're just you know, peeking, you're peeking, you're peeking. <laughs> calm down, exactly. calm oh, down. Like, it's not real. This isn't real. Literally. Um, but I remember when we made this episode, and people were like, oh, it's a chemical. It is real. Like, I thought love was mm. a lie, and then the fact that you can detect changes in, in someone's brain when they're looking at someone they're in love with and when someone they're not. They were like, oh, so it's, it is real. That was like a science. So it's a completely different reaction to the science, which is kind of delightful. What reaction do you have, Elise? And what reaction do you have, Oscar? Because my thing was like, oh, it's all, it's all silly and fake because it's a little chemical going off. My, my reptilian brain is just like. <laughs> I mean, just because it's person. a chemical going off doesn't mean that it's, I mean, that. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, it's real then. It's like when people say, oh, but it's the placebo effect, so it's not real. I'm like, no, but the placebo effect is an effect. 
So just because That's it doesn't operate, like it's like anyway, I'm not. This is why I don't talk often. <laughs> it's like when someone says the placebo effect isn't real, the, the pill had nothing in it. It's like yes, but there was still a change just because the placebo yeah. effect happened doesn't make it make it any more legitimate. Anyway, I think love is real, and um, the end. You get it. You're married. Yeah. Oh, I'm you're sorry. happy and in love. I'm sorry. See, I yeah. use it as an excuse to deny that I have feelings to someone. <laughs> <laughs> I go, well, that's just a stupid chemical reaction, isn't it? It's not real. No, I think, so the study I was talking about, it is a fun study because this researcher interviewed people to find out that they were like really, really in love. And these were, because it's at uni, so they interview people at uni. So it's that disgusting love she described. Like, oh, we were like walking under the Brooklyn yes. Bridge. And he had a lemon, <laughs> lemon. He passed me a lemon. Yeah, and I was so like, bah. I remember doing that interview and I was like, oh, take your lemon and shove it on your ass. But... <laughs> Um, I mean, she was, the, the researcher was amazing. But so she got those people, found these like, you know, people in love with, uh, deeply, deeply in love, put them in a brain scanner and got them uh, to get pictures of the person they're in love with. And then these neutral pictures, like someone from the laundromat or like a second cousin. And she found that there were differences in this chemical called dopamine, which Abby, you name checked, um, which is like, you know, and when we talk about drugs and falling in love, um, this is a chemical that ramps up when you take drugs like cocaine. Mm -hmm. And so some researchers say like the brain in love is like similar-ish to the brain on cocaine. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I think these are, these are studies of people who are like deeply, deeply in love. So I don't know, and, and often in the beginning stages of love. So I don't know how well they help us answer that question of should we be monogamous for life? It just yeah. tells us that that feeling is that we can detect some funny feelings can we when, when people are can in Can we love. tell the difference in an obsession or like I have ADHD. So often, I was going to say sometimes, often what happens <laughs> is I become hyper fixated on someone because obviously they're a dopamine hit for me. And then, well, pre-medication now, not as much. Um, but I, I have like an addiction to crushes really. Um, and what happens is I get become like a, like not upset, it's like a hyper fixation on someone for a short amount of time and then I think I'm like in love with them and then suddenly I'll go, oh, actually not anymore. So is there a way to tell the difference chemically between being in love or just being hyper fixated? Oh, interesting. I don't think they've done those studies. No. I reckon this one that we talked about was definitely trying to catch people in that moment of love. I do know what you mean about that feeling of being fixated and then you actually talk to them for like longer than, <laughs> and you're like, do you know what I mean? Like longer than two hours yeah. and you're like, oh, what have I been doing for the yeah. last like three months of I my know. life? Like, what the fuck? Also, all these questions we're going to ask you, it's okay if you don't know the answer, we can just talk about them and see what we think, just yeah. so you know. I <laughs> yes. I'm expecting yeah. you know the answer to everything. Yeah, but unlike you your <laughs> podcast where like you're bound by science and discoveries, we're like, we can just say what well, <laughs> we can just say how we feel. Careful. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. We, we can say yeah, This I is think. inaccurate. Oh, well. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no one can take the podcast down. Um, no one's dying. We think that, that love and obsession is the same thing. Um, but do you think that maybe, okay, then this is an interesting conversation. Do we all think as scientists, as us <laughs> four physicists, um, do we think then is, okay, when there's a crush, are we getting the same, again, you might not answer this, but are we getting the same chemical as we are from deep love? Like why was it that they needed to be in deep, deep love? Is it? Is it that that chemical only exists? Oh, I mean, that's, that's a really good point. I mean, I will say, like, there's only, like, there's not that many chemicals in the brain. Yeah. So they do get recycled mm. a lot. So that that's why, you know, when you take drugs like, you know, cocaine or MDMA and they make you feel happy, it's like the, the same basic chemicals are getting pumped out. And things are always more complicated. You know, we did an episode on MDMA and talked about like, oh, it's this it's burst of serotonin. And the researchers like, no, 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 no. There's so much more going on. It's so much more complicated. Really? But in terms of like the ingredients that make up our emotions, it's kind of the same stuff. So like even when you talk about love for a child versus yeah. love for a partner, like it's it's not like we have different chemicals for one and then the other or the love that you feel for someone when you're on MDMA. Like it's, it's the same it's the same stuff. So what so you know, like, whether it's expressed differently the longer the relationship goes on. Okay. So it's like if you got like a, like a Betty Crocker packet mix of like <laughs> um like cookies versus brownies. Yeah, it's, it's like the same sort of stuff, but it can have like <laughs> different outcomes. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I would no, I really think that's right. And I, I think when you think about like longer term relationships and how things change, like we also know that the, you know, the brain is plastic and it changes up. And so if you've been in a relationship for a long time and you're used to certain things and you get, you know, that's, that's, so even if it's the same chemicals that are getting like pumped out or whatnot, um, the way your brain is then like processing them would change. How so? Is, is but, it like you're used to a certain baseline of dopamine or oxytocin and then that, that becomes your normal so you don't feel it as much? Is that why after a while? I don't know. No, I think I'm talking too much bullshit now. No, it's now, fine. But, <laughs> we love bullshit, honestly. But, we'll just, I, I, was, yeah, I was thinking on a slightly different level, but I will. We don't here, so. I'm sure you can be very I, safe. I do, I do. Yeah, I don't. But what I'm saying is we don't need to. I know. I wish we could have like a sound effect that's like beer chat and then yeah. like yes, like, yes. no, yeah. just put like a reverb on everything that is fact. Yeah, like that makes it sound like we're sitting in a bar and then everything else is very dry and flat. Yes, we're being silly goofies. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I do think the conversation around whether monogamy is natural or not. I I find this super fascinating yes. be- from the nerd perspective because there's so much. Are we allowed to swear yes, on this show? Yeah, babe. <laughs> Sabby's yes. face. She was shocked that you didn't um, ask. They go, oh, wow. <laughs> like, how have we not done it already? Um, there's so much bullshit around evolutionary psychology mm. that, you know, this idea that, like, men are meant to do X, Y, Z and women are meant to do blah, blah, blah. And you look at the data like the the actual science behind a lot of those claims. So the classic one is this idea that men are supposed to have heat, like this harem of wives, like that's how nature intended, um, you know, and the women are just supposed to be there like taking care of the babies. Like that's how nature intended. Um, and you can find papers written like that and then you look at, well, what is your evidence for that? And it's so cherry picked. So, for example, if you look at like the primate world, you know, I I think it's such a good example of cherry picking because, you know, you might say, well, what do our ants like, you know, we're all monkeys, uh, you know, on on we are monkeys, <laughs> so we're primates. So what, like, what do, what do the other primates do? And then they, they do it all. Like, I got, I got my notes up here. So they do it all. So if you want to find, if you're making an argument that, oh, uh, yes, you know, in the animal kingdom, like, one male with many females is super common, then you're like, see, gorillas, check out gorillas. <laughs> That's what we see in nature. But then, you know, you could get someone going, oh, well, actually, you can find examples in primates where you have one female with many males, like tamarins. It's less common, but then you have examples of monogamy, like one male, one female in gibbons. And so it's just like whatever evolutionary biologist you pick on that day can pick whatever example they want. Yeah, right. And I just... I just think it's so fascinating because we just we always just hear about those bloody gorillas. <laughs> I know all this idea. Oh, Jordan Peterson you know, talking about the fucking lobsters. Yeah, and he got taken. You know, Jordan that's, Peterson, you fuck. It's, it's absolutely, but it Sorry. is genuinely bollocks. So, like another argument you hear for like, oh no, we're meant to be polygynous. You know, we're meant to have like one man, many women. Is oh the size difference? Yeah. So often, right? You you hear this idea that like when when the male species is really large, like a gorilla compared to the female species, that's another sign that like oh you're in a polygynous society. And so people are like, well, men are bigger than women. Ha ha ha. Be like, yeah, but not by that much. Yeah. And some scientists are like, we're talking about much bigger differences, like much bigger. And so they'll say, actually, when you look at evolution, like our ancestors three million years ago, it's not even humans at that point, it's our ancestors, you saw much smaller females compared to males and that difference has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller to where we are today and so some people argue oh well that's a sign that over millions of years we've actually been getting more monogamous or more something else Mm. but then you have the Jordan Petersons of the world being like no 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 but still a difference still a difference and I'm like (laughs) right I raise you lobsters (laughs) but I'm like I could see I could see both sides but to just present one and think that that is science is is I I feel like that's wrong and then other arguments you read like you'll seriously read this in papers where they say (laughs) but now men uh you know get to be blah 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 because they have facial hair and that represents 
pick an idea okay. about what facial hair might represent. I have represent. at least five chin hairs that I pluck regularly. <laughs> and um, so do a lot of my friends sometimes okay. do chin hair plucking all together and make sure you've got all of them. So does that mean that I'm allowed to fuck around by the, by it, the facial hair? Exactly. Like these arguments and you read them in these scientific journals and you're like, I guess so. But I mean, I could also make an argument about I've got really buffy hair and I have it really long and Oscar is bald. So what does that mean? Like, <laughs> you know, fucking come oh, for the jugular, Wendy. Yeah, hey, sorry. I, I didn't mean that, but I mean like men t- men get bald at a higher rate than yeah. women do. So like, sure, you might be like, well, that represents, we could just, we can make stories about whatever we want. And that's, and I feel like evolutionary biology is just like, littered with these examples of people making stories that just suit whatever they feel like in that moment, which is often patriarchal thinking. And it's not until we started to have female evolutionary biologists or men that got it, that like understood their own biases, Mm -hmm. that people have started being like, oh, okay, well, you've got the lobster on one hand, but then on the other hand, you have a bunch of like whatever, you have voles that, where the females cheat on the males nonstop and, like, you have deer where this happens and, like, birds where, they, you know, where you're like, let's look at other examples. Forget the fucking lobsters, yeah, you know? Fuck like me. So you could, it's just like nature is just full of examples that you can pull whatever you want and I just think it shows, like, how, how complicated it all is. And I'm not <laughs> saying that, you know, we understand all, all of it, but I just see it. It's so the way people represent it is so simple, and that pisses me yeah, off. Yeah, one of my other questions was how relevant, obviously, they're relevant to some degree, is using animals in tests or uh, looking at them in nature. Like in this love episode, there was um, a conversation about what, what are they called? I didn't even understand what the fuck, the, the little fluffy things. <laughs> The vo- the vo- they're called voles. How do we spell that? So I can look they're at super cute. They heard like a mole cute. with a V. Like, is that how it's spelled? It, yeah, that's, it's like a, yeah, a mole. Or if you switch the letters of love around, you'll get Oh, my God. It's like a little, oh, it's a little cutie. It's so I cute. It. Sorry. It's like a chubby little mouse kind of situation. <laughs> it's really cute. It's I mean, it's Abby time. is like representing through her voice how I think a lot of people would yeah. feel when they look at oh them. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, ah, it's sitting on top of a lily pad. <laughs> <laughs> It's like so light and fluffy that it's sitting on top of a lily pad. Oh, that's really fucking cute. I know if you can see that from back there, but um, but so so there was a conversation obviously about um different primates. Like you were saying, there's all different evidence, right? So we can't really look at one primate, even if our closest, even if they're our closest relatives. And then with these cute little fluffy cute beauty things, um, <laughs> there was a study done about blocking receptors with, o- like, sorry, so oxytocin didn't get through and they're normally monogamous. Can you explain that first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, this, it's this really fun, it's this really fun example where, so there's these, there's these animals, these cute, cute mm. little, what did you call them? Cute little cute balls. <laughs> And um and this so if you looked up, there's two different species. One is a prairie vole and one is a meadow vole. Mm-hmm. They look exactly the same. I saw pictures of both of them. But very strangely enough, is prairie voles are monogamous, so they'll mate and then stay with their partners in some cases for life. Meadow voles look exactly the same. Live in the meadow, not the prairie. Don't know. Wow. <laughs> and and they are free Pause. love, free love. So it's like obviously, obviously they have the sex. Bring something then out in the sluts, hippies, sluts, yeah. sluts. <laughs> Like they're out in the meadows Free getting love. fucking the hip on. Yeah. No judgment here. Whichever volume you want to be, look your best life. <laughs> um, so researchers are like, this is this is very interesting. Like, what could possibly be the difference? Mm. Why? How could one be monogamous yeah. and the other one not? And so when they looked in their brain, they found differences in how their brain was processing oxytocin, which people sometimes think of as like the cuddle chemical. Mm. And then so when the researchers sort of switched, like did these fancy, you know, science things um, and switched up how the brains of the prairie voles like processed oxytocin, they could turn the monogamous voles un- Monog- non-monogamous. Wow. So in the lab, they could see, oh, now they're having sex, and like then they're just like just fetus, breaking up like, family. No- <laughs> 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 they're the real. I, I hate the term homewrecker, but that's actually the only definition that I've ever heard. Should take them but to a homewrecker. Should take them to a maths dinner party. I swear oh, to God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So okay. So they so they blocked these receptors, right? Now yes. Uh, but then there was a conversation at the end. You know, we get all this evidence. He goes, okay, well that means oxytocin, obviously, as we kind of already knew it confirms that oxytocin 
has something to do with monogamy or wanting to be monogamous? Yes, yeah. It tells us that there's something chemical that can drive this feeling of monogamy, mm-hmm. I think. And then the, and there was a conversation about, well, but for humans, though, like things are different because we've got more like cerebral uh, understanding. So <laughs> it's like, and it's like, I understand yeah. that it's a bit more Science evidence, is but hard. it's uh, when it comes to humans, everything feels so complex. So I guess my question is, what's the point in in, in putting needles in these voles' brains? If like, like, if we're just like, <laughs> and being these home wreckers. Yeah. Well, I will say, so with the voles, I think it helps us understand that chemicals are doing stuff right. here. Like I think, I think before reading those studies, I would have thought that monogamy was entirely a social construct. True. Um, and then even though it's just with the voles, I was like, oh, okay, there is something, there's something chemical mm. here. And I guess, you know, what, it, looking at the primates to see whether they're like polyandrous or whatnot, um, if we had seen that every single type of primate or, a, or we saw this big pattern where they were all like, you know, one men to one male to many females or like we saw the same thing, I think that would be kind of a bit more course, evidence yeah. that like that there's something here. But uh, but I, I think the bigger picture of the science of love and the science of monogamy is you really, as long as you're being honest with your partner, you should just do what you want to do. Like science isn't going to be able to help you work out whether you can cheat on your partner or not yeah. because I should say even in these mono- these monogamous roles they cheat you know and oh, it is like even maths. the monogamous ones you know, <laughs> and and monogamous birds you know you hear those stories of like the, whatever the, the penguin peng- the penguin is always like yeah the, the penguins, penguins blah, blah blah like in nature, like yeah, sure, like on a documentary, they look really cute. They're all like they're often cheating. Oh, they're oh, often I cheating. Suspected, you, you, like, I did suspect oh. that. <laughs> yes, you analyze like the the eggs that that the parent is sitting on, and it'll be like, oh, this is coming from all sorts of different genetics. Like, there's just cheating all, going on all over the place. The idea of 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 monogamy that you would stay with one person for life is so so rare yeah. in the animal kingdom. But that doesn't mean that you should break up with your partner yeah, if you're in a good relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah, totally. You do you. You do you. you don't care about what the, the Penguins do, do they get they, angry you know? at each other when they find out that they're cheating, or like, is there is there like any of that happening, or is it's it just do they or are they just like uh, they have a conversation about their, like penguin therapy, and they're like, listen, I understand <laughs> that like your oxytocin levels are a bit low, and you need to get it. Like, speaking of things that make us feel good and drugs, whoosh, segue. <laughs> yeah, ketamine. Nice. Okay, so when I've never done ketamine, despite what everyone thinks because my name is associated with ketamine from this fucking amazing video that Amy put together. I'm blaming Amy, um, who was our amazing, um, one of our amazing video producers, where I was about the vaccine and I was like, I know you do ketamine, like take a fucking vaccine. Because I had these friends who were, anti, quote unquote friends, who were anti-vaxxers who I'd like seen do ketamine recreationally and I was like, it's fine. And my point there wasn't anti-ketamine. My point there was like, yeah. if you can take ketamine off toilet seat, you can take the vaccine. That was my point. Yes. <laughs> I love this point. I love this now, point. I've yes. never done ketamine. No need, not a horse, bit busy. So <laughs> first and foremost, ketamine is used to what tranquilize horses, all the horse jokes in the episode. And also like people use it recreationally, but there's also, there were some studies done about it being used to treat depression. So What's the deal, babe? What's going on? Like, is everyone's having a K hole every weekend? Um, really happy. Really, just haven't have they have they figured things out? And am I am I lagging behind? Yeah, I mean, I think it's so funny. So I've been um, in living in New York the last seven years, and the idea of ketamine treating mental health has just been like ratcheting up in terms of the like social media fatty conversation there's clinics opening up that you can go to and get an infusion of ketamine and it's like a spa retreat like they you know it's it's this and so it's it's very funny being being back and people are like wait what it's the horse tranquilizer and the party mm. drug and you're using it for depression yeah. are you kidding me um yeah it's like on our um science versus instagram account which is still thinks i'm in america um i just cannot scroll through it without an ad being like do you need ketamine? Here's like, here's four questions about your mental health and like you could get ketamine. Really? So it's like, it's, it's huge right now. And, um, 
And part of the reason for that, it's it's way more controlled in Australia, but is because ketamine is approved as an anesthetic, like for humans and for horses. And so even though there is actually an FDA approved ketamine nasal spray for depression, people are just you, like clinics are just using the stuff that you can give humans as an anesthetic, like off label. So you can go to your doctor and get ketamine. Um, sa- but what the fuck? Yeah, yes. So, so yeah. So that's why on the show, like our whole team was like, does it work? Like, is it, this is, this is why like no other, you know, we've seen this story before with like magic mushrooms and MDMA, like where, you know, Australia like recently approved MDMA as a treatment for depression. You know, we've seen this story before, but I have not seen anything like in the US ketamine just like popping off. Um, Is it like weird how like like you can get a weed prescription? Is it almost that easily accessible? And what are the regulations around it in the US. Yeah, I think what confused everything as well was in the US. I don't know whether it happened here through the pandemic. They wanted to make it much easier for people to get access to their medication, so they changed some rules around that you could get meds online. And then so that that which is going to end soon. And so that was another way that you have all of these online places being like three questions and then ketamine at your door. Um so first the science before the panic. Um the Really curious thing is that 20, so the first bit of research that was looking at this was getting people who had really bad depression, suicidal thoughts, um, really in crisis, getting them into clinics. And then these are people where like other antidepressants just like hadn't worked, people who had been depressed for years. They gave them ketamine and for some of them, they would have these like miraculous turnarounds. Like um, we spoke to researchers who said, you know, the next day we'd have them come into the clinic or they'd stay over in the lab and they just looked like a completely different person. And this sparked, we spoke to to someone, Fernanda, who was at this critical suicidal point and got herself ketamine through this, like started reading about it and was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll try it. And it just like saved her life is how she describes it. Um, And so there was, so studies like that really like have, you know, got people really excited about this. They got scientists excited as like, do we have something here? And then they got, you know, influences, capitalism, um, people getting excited about it as well as a, as a, as you know, way to make money. Um, So, but as the research has progressed, what we found is that it can make people have these miraculous turnarounds. It only works about half the time, so 50% of people, and the benefits only last about one to two weeks. Is 50% good or bad in terms of these trials in your experience? It's like, it's good compared, I mean, it's, sorry, it's bad compared to the ads that I'm seeing on social media where you see these companies being like 80%, like all, you know, these these very exciting figures. So compared to that, Mm. I think some people have been like, oh, disappointing. But considering that these were individuals where classic antidepressants hadn't worked and they have been depressed for, you know, years then I would say being able to treat half of them is really good. So it just kind of depends on where you come into this conversation. Um, so now the question is, like, how can we extend that benefit? And there's there's research going on in Australia on this as well. What's um, the threshold for when something is classified as working? Because, you know, you'd think even if it was a 10% success rate where people have had their lives saved by something, it would be worth uh, administering it. But then... Uh, you know, the addictiveness and and the negative effects, I guess, come into it as well, which you spoke about on the podcast. So at what point? Yeah, I I mean, I think, yeah, it's such a good question. It's like the boring way of talking about it is like the risk-benefit yeah. analysis. Um, and so for if you're talking about someone who's suicidal, like you would say, you know, don't worry about the these because there are some unknowns, you know, particularly if you're going to have to take it once every two weeks, once every mm. three weeks for the rest of your life. Um you know, there, there's some unknowns about what that might do. But if you're talking about someone on the knife edge, you'd just be like, let's just get you, let's just get you feeling mm. better for the next two weeks and t- and talk about next steps. Um, so that's kind of where, like that's in Australia, that's where it's being used, where it's way more controlled and like we're not hearing about it being used everywhere. I mean, I do, ha- I do know of people anecdotally who self-medicate with mm. ketamine. They've just gotten off the street. Um because they're starting to hear these stories. Yeah. I mean, when you when you have a an illness that 
medicine isn't helping, like if, if you, you find do go something. to social media and you start looking, yeah, looking elsewhere. So I, I don't, I don't begrudge anyone for experimenting to for their mental health. There, there is one. Um, just while well, we've got a little bit of time, there is this one symptom that we talk about on the podcast that I did want to talk about here because I think a lot of people don't yeah. know about it. I definitely didn't. The the bladder yeah. symptoms. Um, so there's this idea that I thought I going into, you know, I come in with an open mind, but I'm always skeptical about, um, when people say, you know, drugs are bad, they'll cause this, they'll cause that. And I'm like, really? Mm. Like obviously some, um, but there had been this idea that they can like mess up your bladder, like murder your bladder, Mm. ketamine. And I was like, really? And this one, there is actually some truth to. So if you are taking a lot of ketamine, either for medication or to party and, what it, it it can sort of wreck it, oh I shouldn't say wreck it can mess with the lining of your bladder and it can give you painful symptoms it all seems to come back to the UTI oh, symptoms um, it can give you symptoms of like needing to pee a lot um, and painful oh, pain I've never taken and shit <laughs> I mean, it's it's not it's not common, but the thing is, if the the all the scary stories, if if you have heard them, if you haven't, don't worry. But like, come from when people get those symptoms and then keep using it, probably because they don't know it's caused by the ketamine. You you just think, oh, I've I've got a UTI. I better go to the doctor and take antibiotics. So if you are playing around with ketamine and you're getting those symptoms and it's not a UTI, like you need to stop taking ketamine at least for a little while. So you kind of flush it out of your system. Has someone been that microdosing I, yeah. me ketamine me not realising? Because <laughs> when <laughs> fucking times I have these symptoms, it's not normal. I go to the doctor and they say you don't have any fucking bacteria and I go, but I have all the symptoms of a fucking UTI. There's something going on here. Sorry, I've got, I've got to check the water at the station. I've got to check to make sure there's something in there. She's been in a K-hole every day. Yeah, and I haven't realised it. This podcast isn't real. <laughs> Wendy's just a figment of my imagination. You just get me in here so I can enjoy the, I can enjoy my seat every week. I, I break in. So my last question isn't about anything we've really spoken about, um, but it, I guess it's more just about science in general and about like fact checking and resource. And we were joking before, we we're kind of joking about like nothing matters. And but I think you know a lot of the points raised, particularly about the love of monogamy, is like people can cherry pick resources. And I'm wondering if you have a not like quick and easy, but like a, like a go to way to check that resources and that your sources are are true and factual and that should be trusted. Because I feel like there's so much research everywhere and people don't really know how to decipher it. I think during COVID we all became like mini scientists. Yeah. And, but then it also created people just to believe anything they anything they fucking saw. Also people say, oh, I went and, I, you know, I was doing some research. It's like, no, no, no you were Googling things that align with your beliefs. That's yeah. like, we can say that. You yeah, are that's right. <laughs> that's right. Or you were on Facebook yeah. even worse. Like you were just getting fed yeah. shit that aligns with your yeah. beliefs. So, you didn't even have to go searching I guess for it. most yes. people don't have, don't, know how to use like look look up journal articles right yeah. and people probably aren't going to do that but in the general yeah. media do you have a way that um the general public can can really know what's fact and, and what's fiction or what should be given weight yeah it, i think it's su- it's such a good question i mean i will say like if you're i mean i could i could do a, a plug for us which feels a bit mm. shitty but we actually no, really do, do our homework do um no so if if something comes up you could google science versus and the topic and you know the show's been around for a while and all of our transcripts are online so you don't even actually need to listen to the show you can just go to the transcript and like see and um if we've covered it and we're saying something similar i think we really do our homework um uh, but I think there's also websites I really trust. So even if you see something on Instagram, like New Scientist magazine, I think they really do their homework. So if you Google like a topic and then New Scientist magazine, um, I think BBC is really good as well. Um, and the ABC, although they don't tend to cover some things that people might be finding. Like I I feel like, because I don't even want to say like find a source you trust because that feels really yes. nerve wracking. Oh, I mean, I. Right. Like a, I, a fucking a Reddit thread about QAnon. I trust that, you know? Like. Yeah. Ex- yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, some academic papers aren't as scary as they seem to be. So, for example, if you're um, looking for a health-related topic, like you want to know um, whether 
to stick to the topic of the day, where the cranberry juice helps with UTIs, um, I would recommend Googling um, like UTI, cranberry juice, and then this thing called a Cochrane review. <laughs> Stop it. Um, it's a C-O-C-H-R-A-N-E. It's not as fun as I made it out to be, but... Um, Anyway, review and they have they are meant for the general public. So they'll they they have this thing that's like, you know, re- summary of and they, they've covered a, a lot of stuff. And so they'll have like, you know, general it's called something like general public summary. So I, that's that's where I go. And, you know, I would say, you know, if you want to go a little deeper, like Google Scholar is like that's if you've got you got a little more time on your hands. That's, I mean, that's where I go. But I get paid to do this. Um so that's my, you know, which is something. It's like, it's a lot. It's, you know, you're not going to come home from a hard day of work and necessarily Google Scholar, <laughs> Google but Scholar. I will say. Let's get into some peer review journals. Let's do it. Yeah. Do a I mean, but but if, 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 you, if you do want to do that, because I do know that a lot of people, uh, like a lot of our listeners will send us articles or will on Twitter will we'll be like, but what about this article? And what about that? So people in, in the public mm. are looking at papers. Yeah. I would say um, a good way to start would be um, like look up so Google Scholar and then look up the topic you're interested in then and then like review paper. And review paper is like where other researchers have gone in and summarized the evidence. So you're not, I think individual oh. papers can be a little daunting because yeah. that's where you're like, there's a bunch of, right? There's like a lot of a lot of stats and a lot of like, um, you know, complicated words that, that if you really, you know, yes. That, so, but it, a review paper is where they have summarized right. it. So if you do feel like jumping a little deeper. Okay, amazing. Thank you. I just feel like it's very hard. I see some people online, like even influencers quote things like stats and I'm like, where the fuck? And, then, and like I've one time like looked into it because someone was saying to me that I was like, that doesn't sound right. It really, and it was it was something that I agreed with on what they were um, arguing, but I was like, it's very dangerous to say stats that um, aren't correct when you're on my side because then the fucking right wing can come and say they all lie. And it was from like a 2012 census that had no – and I was like, you can't just – I don't want to say what it was, but you can't just say things. You have to have some sort of basis to it. So I think it's important for the general public to know how to research things. And yeah, and by now, whatever that quote was, that's ten years look, ago. Exactly. You know, it, like it doesn't it doesn't that. fucking count. I think that I have the privilege of knowing that from going to university, but a lot of people don't. And doing having a whole, you know, at high school having a whole class about how to research things properly, whereas people may not have that. But um, Wendy, thanks so much for your time. You are oh, thanks so much. Thanks amazing. for having me. Sorry I was late. Um, we can blame a miscellaneous airline. Um, but art, so art versus science, that's a band. Whoa. Um, <laughs> science versus, what song do they have again? Hmm. Art versus science. I feel like it's very like 2005 Banger. or something. It's Bangers. coming back. All that stuff's yeah. coming 20 back year, though. 20 years Reunion. when it all comes back, yeah. Um, oh, no, yeah. Science Versus, you can find it on Spotify. Where can everyone find you on socials? Where would you like them to follow you? Uh, I'm on Twitter, Wendy Zook, and Science Versus on the Instagram, which is science underscore VS. We love it. Thank you so much. Listener.